Oh, man, I love that. Love the whole thought of it, that we've come with open hearts. Let the ancient words impart. And we're going to be looking thousands of years ago, words that were written uh, and, and how they should have an impact in our life in amazing ways. I know we already prayed, but I want to pray again. And ask God to really move in this time as we begin not only tonight, but in the coming weeks, look at, uh, I think, is one of the most intriguing aspects of studying scripture. Let's pray together. Father, I pray the ancient words, which have life, which bring life, which change lives, would touch in an incredible way. May we become aware of who you are. May we be open to your spirit taking these words and visiting our hearts and minds in such a way that it enlightens us and intrigues us and gives us passion and helps us understand the times we live in. So I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I uh, don't know if you're like me, and I don't think a lot of you are, but I, I became a Bible uh, uh, just a collector. I just love Bibles. I love to get my hands on different versions. I love to get my hands on different kinds of Bibles the way they're made. Uh, for my son Tim, who uh, did an announcement for his birthday this year, I got him an old Cambridge-style Bible made of goat skin. And uh, with Indian paper from India and gold-edged leaves and, and the old-style print. And, and it got it to him. Oh, he was just like, man, this is incredible. I, I didn't buy one for me because I can't read the print even with the glasses. But, um, but I, I love different Bibles. Uh, the one I have is calfskin. And uh, it's a, uh, done out by the Lachman Foundation. It's a special Lachman Foundation uh, particular way of putting this together with wide margins and, and able to write notes in it. Uh, these Bibles are kind of interesting because the reality is the less you use them, uh, the, the less time they'll last. The, the leather's made for when you to touch it and the, the oils from your fingers get on it. It actually makes it last longer. It makes it better. Uh, and so if you let it just set for a month or two, it actually dries out the leather and ruins the Bible, which I think is kind of like a, a God-given thing. You better get your hands on your Bible or some of you are going to walk in here one night and open it. It's going to crack and all the pages are going to fall and we're going to know. <laughs> yeah, um, but, but they came out with another version, and, and it's really an interesting concept called the Net Bible. It's the Internet Bible. Dallas Theological Seminary wanted to, to do a brand new translation uh, uh, of, of Scripture that would be very accurate to the Hebrew and the Greek and some Aramaic. And, and, and then they, they came up with this idea. They said, what if we do it on the Internet, and we have all those who are in part of the translation share their notes. I mean, make it very extensive notes on, on why they chose to translate a verse a certain way. It, it's a little different than a study Bible because it's really about why did we choose to use this word rather than this word and, and, and what is the tense that we were looking for and the wonder we were trying to bring out and that was the desire they had. Then as they <coughs> dug into doing this translation a little bit more, they thought, well, you know what, we can't just do that. We've got to also give some application and give some direction. And so they've got this amazing team of scholars, and they're working away on it. And they did finish it. And you can go on the Internet and just use it for free uh, on phones and stuff. You can download it basically for free, uh, minus usually the translation notes. Uh, uh, but that's what they were doing. Well, they did come out where they thought, we've got to have some bound copies of this. 
And, and so uh, the first wave of them went out, and, and there's a particular story behind it. Uh, Chuck Swindoll is where I heard this from, who used to be the president of Dallas. And, and what happened, and this really did happen, one of the professors was sitting and work, working on the book of Proverbs. He's a, a very, very renowned Hebrew scholar, and he's working on the book of Proverbs, and, and he's, he's working hard on the notes. He's got a deadline to meet, and in the midst of it all, the phone rings, and he picks it up, and it's his credit card company. And they said, hey, we're really concerned about some fraudulent charges that may be on your bill. We really do think this could be a problem. And he said, oh, I'm right in the middle of something. And is there any way I can call you back? And the person goes, well, I'll just give you a, a number to call and it'll bring you to my direct line. And, 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 and he goes, oh, I, you know, I don't have a pin right now. Give it to me. And sitting at his computer, he types in the 1-800 number. And, and then he's decided, you know, once I get done with these notes, I'll go back and I'll write it down and erase it out and... But he got so caught up into what he was doing, he forgot to go back and erase it out. And so what happened is nobody caught it. It actually went to print. The leather-bound edition has it in it. But he was working in Proverbs chapter 2, verse 16, where it says that wisdom is to deliver you from the strange and evil woman, from the adulteress who flatters with his words, her words. And at the bottom it says, call 1-800. <laughs> How many calls the credit card company got? Hi, can you deliver me from the street? You know, and uh, <laughs> the word of God, though, is amazingly awesome. There's no doubt about it. I've studied it and read it all these years. It just gets more exciting to me and more alive, and I hope it does to you too. But one area of study that really has always intrigued me is when it comes to prophecy. And, and I want you to get where we're going tonight. I want to lay a foundation to you, a biblical foundation for how we study prophecy, how we look at it. Every Christmas we stop and, and we talk about amazing fulfilled prophecy in the coming of the Messiah. And, and a person that was looked for, a time that he would come, a fulfillment that happened in ways that nobody could truly understand. As a matter of fact, as, as scholars up to the time of Jesus looked at certain prophetic things and they thought this just can't be. A, a virgin would be with child. How, how would that happen? The, the town of Bethlehem would be visited by this child. That, that, that it would literally have a, a, a meaning that would just begin to come in. We're going to look at some of those. But, but it just blew people's minds. And so when you come to prophecy, there, there's a, a principle that I think you have a, a right in, actually not only a right, an obligation, a responsibility to hold on to. And it's in Amos chapter 3, verse 7. It says, surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret counsel to his servant, the prophets. Let me stop there. Think about that. Surely. Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret counsel to his servants, the prophets. There's nothing God's ever going to do in a major way impacting this world that isn't written in here, he says. And, and God is not absent from our time. God is not standing far off. He didn't just leave town on us. God has a plan to work through his church all through the ages, but especially in the last days. And, and we need to understand we live in those times. And God says, I want you to know, there's nothing in a major way going to happen that I'm not going to tell you about it ahead of time. But you're going to hear it from my servants, the prophets. Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 1, if you're with me, in verses 10 and 11, Peter tells us about how the prophets acted upon this. Now, now, I want you to think about what I'm about to say. This is how the prophets thought. 
This is how the prophets themselves approached the truths they were given. And we learned some things that we want to hang on to, not only for understanding some prophecy and a lot of prophecy that's already been fulfilled, but for prophecy yet to be fulfilled. And it says in chapter 1, verse 10, as to this salvation, the, the coming of the Lord, the Messiah coming and bringing salvation to us, as to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you in these things which have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Now, now I want you to think about what was just said. It says, I want you to know that these prophets, when they got that message, what did they do with it? Did they go, oh, no one can understand it, just forget it. Or did they make careful search and inquiry? They studied over and over. They wanted to know the meaning. They dug in in a very diligent way. Now, now why I bring this up is there are some people who act like, well, you know what, the prophecy really, no one's really going to understand it. Let's just not worry about it. Let's don't look at it. Let's don't think about it. Let's don't talk about it. And, and yet that's not what the prophets did. When the prophets got this message, they made careful search and inquiry. Uh, holding on to this, look over at 2 Peter chapter 1, and notice what he says on the same subject in verse 19, when he calls for us to have a certain attitude when it comes to prophecy. And it says this in verse 19. So we have the prophetic word made more sure. It, it's more understandable, something more we hold on to. Is more sure, to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your heart. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. But men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Now, now the main point I want you to grab hold of is it says, we do well to pay attention. We do well to give our focus, our minds, our hearts to studying this. Why? Because God gave it to you and I as a gift. And, and so we might know his thoughts. We might know his attitudes. Ready for this? We might know the actions God is going to take. And, and we would do well to pay attention and study that. For the ones that have already been fulfilled. This is why the Bible stands out from all other religions in the world. No other religion. None. No other religious book or teaching holds a candle to the prophetic uh, 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 wisdom of God and the prophecies given and the exact fulfillment thereof and nothing's close to it. And it gives us a reason to know there's something special we have in our hands and God wants that to be true. But for the days we live in, it gives us an ability to look at what God's about to do. And, and, and it ought to cause us to have a sober mindset, a ready mindset, so that we're ready for what God's about to do in our lives. And that's what God's great desire is, that you and I would have that kind of heart and that we would be ready for it. As a matter of fact, look back at 1 Peter chapter 1 and, and notice what happens in verse uh, uh, chapter uh, uh, 1 verse 13. It's the one right after we just read where it talked about the prophets made careful search and inquiry. Notice what it says. Therefore, because the prophets acted this way, therefore prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
In other words, the last thing we do is be apathetic. The last thing we do is just sit back. When we have prophetic word before us, we study it. We make careful search and inquiry. We don't want to let go of it. And, and by the way, the prophets themselves handled it this way. Uh, hold on to First uh, Peter 1, but turn with me over to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9 is where I want you to be. And, and I want you to look at how Daniel handled this. Daniel chapter 9. Daniel was in the year 538 B.C., 538 years before the coming of Christ. And, and he was studying scripture. He was studying prophecy. As a matter of fact, he was studying the book of Jeremiah. And, and he became aware of something as he found a particular prophecy that was in Jeremiah chapter 25. And he realized the fulfillment of it was two years away. A prophecy that had been given in 670 B.C. And it was a 70-year time span. And, and, it, and it wakened Daniel within him to begin to pray in a particular way for this fulfillment to come. And for an understanding of what God was about to do. And look at Daniel chapter 9 verse 1. And it says, in the first year, which is 538 B.C., of Darius, the son of Azurius, of the Median descent, who was made king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the book... The number of years which had been revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for completion of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. He said, I realize something's going on and it's a 70 year time span. And they're 68 years in. And he said, I was studying and I went, oh, I've been studying the books. And I looked and I saw what God had said to Jeremiah the prophet as far as, as what's going on here. And he said, it, it caught my attention. Now, now, very quickly, and hopefully you'll understand this, look at this as a timeline. God, and, and through Moses, had warned the people, he said, and we're going to get into the passage in a second, that I want you to, to give my, my land, the land I'm giving you as a gift, I want you to work it for six years and give it a rest on the seventh. And, and, and 70 times they didn't do that. And God said, but if you don't do that, let me tell you what I'm going to do. I'll remove you from the land and give it a rest that way. But if you would listen to me, I would bless you by a measure. If you would obey me, not only in giving the land the rest, but if you would obey me in, in being in love with me and letting me love you and letting me guide you and not being sexually immoral and, and not treating your families and your friends in a horrible way. If you would love me that way, if you would care for the poor, if you would care for those in need, if you would take the alien in, God says, I would bless you in a way that you would step back going, God, we can't even hold on to it, contain it. So let the land rest and trust me. Love people and trust me. And they didn't do it. Then we come over to the prophet Jeremiah, and Jeremiah chapter 25, we'll get to in a second, says, well, I'm telling you what's going to happen then, because you didn't let God bless you. Now, think about that. You didn't trust him. You didn't say yes to what he said. You, you didn't give the land a rest. You didn't love people. You didn't care for them. You were sexually immoral. You, you allowed ever the worship of other gods to happen. You, 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 you treated babies as if they didn't matter, allowing their lives to be exterminated. You were sexually immoral. God says, you know what, because of all that, I'm going to let the land have its rest. And I want to put you in a period of chastisement and hope you'll wake up to see what you could have had if you would quit being evil and start living lives that matter. And, and so he says, I'm going to have a 70-year period of time take place where the Babylonians will seize you and, and remove you from the land. And, and that's what 
Daniel read. And 68 years later, the Babylonians have fulfilled what was done. And they're sitting there. And Daniel's looking around and he's seeing the people haven't repented. We haven't caught on. We haven't got that God did this for a reason. We've got to wake up. We've got to repent. We've got to be ready for the blessing of God to come. And so he said that. So what was his reaction when he realized that they were 68, 68 years into a fulfillment of prophecy? Verse 3. So I gave my attention to the Lord to seek him by prayer and supplication with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. Now I know I've shared this with you before, but I don't want you to miss it. He says, basically, I gave my attention. Uh, the, the Hebrew word there is I set my face towards him. I began to look intently. I, I didn't take my eyes off of him. Do you remember what Peter said? I hope you remember it. Peter said, we have this prophetic word made more sure. Therefore, let us pray. And let us have a fixed soberness to our lives. Let us pay more of the attention to God's word. Because we have this prophetic word made sure. Daniel trusted the prophetic word. So what did he do? He prayed intently. And, and the word supplication is he pitched a tent. And said, God, I'm not leaving until I am right with you and I pray for this people to be right with you. And, and God, we're, we're seeking you because we want this to occur. And you see the very same mindset come. And it's the prophetic word made more sure. I, I want to point out something to you. Are you ready? When Daniel read 70 years, how long did he expect it to be? What's the year? Yeah, did he expect it to be just a, oh, 70s kind of a perfect number and, and you can kind of take it for whatever you want. It's kind of this ambiguous period of time and it's about us. No, no, he, 70 years was what? 70 years. Now, I, I know that doesn't seem, I just really want to make sure and drive that home. If we study prophecy correctly and we do it the way Daniel did it, well, I think Daniel knew what he was doing, then 70 years was 70 years. And, and we need to understand that. Did he believe at the 70 years there'd be a completion, and by the way, an extermination of the Babylonian nation? Yes, he did. He believed that what God's word said is what God's word meant and what would happen. Uh, uh, think about this. Uh, hold on to Daniel 9 and turn over to Jeremiah chapter 25. Jeremiah 25. And look what it says here. While you're turning there, let me give you the Leviticus passage that talks about this. And it's Leviticus 26, 43. It says, for the land will be abandoned by them and will make up for its Sabbath, those, that, those times of rest it didn't get, will make up for its Sabbath while it's made desolate without them. In other words, they're driven out and the land gets to rest. They, meanwhile, will be making amends for their iniquity because they have rejected my ordinances and their soul abhorred my statutes. God said, because you wouldn't listen, you wouldn't obey, you wouldn't treat the land correctly, I'm going to cause this period of time to come. And, and so that's the violation they did of the Levitical law. Now look what it says in Jeremiah 25, starting at verse 10. Moreover, Jeremiah is told by God to say, moreover, I will take from them the voice of joy and the voice of gladness and the voice of the bridegroom, and the voice of the bride and the sound of the millstones and the light of the lamp. This whole land will be a desolation and a horror, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. Then it will be when the 70 years are completed. I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, declares the Lord, for their iniquity and the land of the Chaldeans, and I will make it an everlasting desolation. Now, now it's, it's, it, it all has to do with the idea of why wouldn't you listen to me? Why wouldn't you do what I say? Why wouldn't you let me love you? Uh, uh, look what it says up, up in chapter 25, Jeremiah 25, and go back a few verses. 
And notice what it says in verse 4. And the Lord has sent you all his servants and the prophets again and again, but you have not listened nor inclined your ear to hear. He says, why aren't you listening? I'm not so sure, by the way, that God might not say to Christians in our day and time, hey, I, I sent the prophets, why aren't you listening? Why aren't you making careful search and inquiry? Why aren't you studying my word? And notice what he goes on to say in verse 5, saying, turn now everyone from his evil way and from your evil of your deeds and dwell in the land which the Lord has given to you and your forefathers forever and ever. And do not go after other gods to serve them and to worship them and do not provoke me to anger with the work of your hands and I will do you no harm. Now, now what he's saying is I won't punish you if you just stop, if you just stop and do it right. I, I want to bless you. Remember we saw today, if you were with us in the morning, God says, I, I long to have compassion. Stop. And uh, then it says in verse 7, yet you would not listen to me, declares the Lord, in order that you might provoke me to anger in the work of your hands to your own harm. All of us who've ever dealt with children, whether you're a parent or grandparent or teacher, Sunday school worker, youth worker, sometimes we look at kids and we're like, just don't do it. I, I mean, I don't know how, I, I, I think there may be a few, but the vast majority of us don't wake up in the morning and go, ooh, I want to punish my child. Man, I want to nail them. Anybody, I mean, I just, you know, you're abusive if you do that. God's not abusive. And sometimes we watch and we're like, don't do it. Just to stop. It's, it's I don't want to have to punish you. I want to have fun with you. I want, it, this should be the great, we should celebrate and rejoice and sing together. And, and, and I want you to have love and life and laughter. And, and guess what God's saying to all of us? And, and you know why? Because God wants you to have that. And, and he looks at the children of Israel and said, just, just stop. If not, I'm going to make you pay. And so what he does is 70 years you're going to pay. And then when Daniel studies this, he says, whoa, that's what's happening. 70 years means 70 years. He gets it. He says, I know that that's what this says. And so hold on to Daniel 9, but look back at 1 Peter chapter 1 and notice again what this is saying. It says in verse 10, as to the salvation, the prophets who prophesied of this grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries. In other words, let me say this as clearly as I can. When we're talking about prophecy, and this is vital, the Bible is teaching us, God's word is teaching us, study it. Now, I know for most of you, it's like, okay, I get that. But I think it's so important we don't miss it. Make a careful search and inquiry. Study. It's not wrong to do. It's right to do. More than ever, we should, especially in the days and times we live in. Let's make sure we're studying and knowing and aware. And, and we have a, the right heart and the right minds that are ready for action and to take action on the things of God. Now, notice what it says they did. They made, in verse 10, made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to what? seeking to know what person or time the spirit of Christ within them was indicating. It says, you know what they did? And, and we're going to go back to Daniel 9 right now. It says that they made a very, look, a, a careful search for a specific person in a specific time. That, that they were so caught up in this. They were so intrigued by it. They, they wanted to know. 
Now, now, what were they looking at? Well, one of the things they would have looked at if they were, were after Daniel, post-Daniel, is what we call the prophecy, prophecy of the 70 weeks. We're not going to dig into it with super depth, but look down at Daniel 9, verse 24. What happens is Daniel begins to seek the Lord and to pray and say, Lord, what are you doing? Is Jerusalem going to be spared? I pray that you would forgive us. Lord, I repent on behalf of the people. I beg you to restore us to our land. I beg you to have mercy upon us. God, are you going to do it? And an angel is sent to him. And the angel says, Daniel, I, I've listened and God has listened. And I want to tell you that there are 70 weeks of years, 77-year periods that God is going to work with Jerusalem. All of this centers on Jerusalem. Everything's about Jerusalem. And the one thing, Daniel, you wanted to know most, is there going to be a deliverance? Is there going to be forgiveness? Is there going to be love? And, and the bottom line, Daniel, the Messiah will come. It, you take 69 seven-year periods, and, and you look from the time a decree it comes out to the building of the walls of Jerusalem, that city you've been asking about, when the decree is finally given that the city can be rebuilt, I want you to know that, that there's 69 seven-year periods, and you count it down, and the Messiah will come. That's what he's saying. And look at that in verse 24. Seventy weeks have been decreed to your people and to your holy city to finish transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. Now, 70 times 7, or 77-week segments, will be used, not, not all in order, but will be used to fulfill all prophecy. All prophecy will be fulfilled at the end of this time, none left. Every single one that God has ever given will be finished. Every sin will be forgiven that will be forgiven at that point. All atonement will be made. Uh, restoration of the world into the hands of God will come at the end of these 77-year periods. That's what he's saying. And then he begins to break it down. Verse 25. So you are, catch this, so you are to know and discern. I, I'm going to be beating this point home. Not because I think that we aren't intelligent people. I think this is a very intelligent group. Um, but but let, me, let me drive this point home. Look at those words. So you are to know and discern. Did you catch? It's not to, well, you, you can forget about it. Nobody can ever figure it out anyway. He says, no, no, no. Make careful search and inquiry because I want you to know and discern. Do you catch how much when it comes to all scripture, but especially prophecy, this is a theme. Study, study, study. Know that you can know. It's not really hidden. It is a little complex because it's a huge God dealing with a, a complex world and many different continents and places centering from Jerusalem. But you can get it. You can know it. And he says, so you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the Messiah, the Prince of Priests, there will be seven seven-year periods or seven weeks and 62 seven-year periods or 62 weeks, which is 69 weeks. It will be built again with plaza and moat even in the times of distress. Now we know that, that as we study history, that the decree was given in, uh, uh, depending on how you do the actual counting of it, either 444 B.C. or 445 B.C., depending on which calendar you're using. And, and we know that if you take 69 times 7, that's 483 years. So we know that between 444 and 445, the decree was given to rebuild and restore the walls of Jerusalem. And if you were making careful search and inquiry into this, you would say, okay, uh, uh, we've got to uh, uh, begin a countdown to the coming of the Messiah, the one that's promised. 
And guess what? You get to the year 32 or 33 A.D., And it says the prophets knew that a particular person would be the Messiah at a particular time in this time. And by the way, it's going to say something about him uh, in the next verse. Look what it says in verse 26. Then after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off or killed and have nothing. He'll be killed. You're looking for a man in the 32-33 period who will be put to death. And that's the Messiah. That's the one you're looking for. And they, they said, we're, we're, the prophets were wise enough to look for that person, a particular person at a particular time. By the way, here, here's my point is, did you notice that Daniel, when he studied the 70 years, looked for a particular time, and by the way, a destruction of a particular people, the Babylonians. And, and now we have Daniel getting a message about a particular person who's going to come at a particular time. This is how Messiah will come. This is how prophecy is fulfilled. When we study prophecy correctly, it's always going to be like this. It, it, it always, we're looking for a particular person in time. Now, a few weeks from now is the most interesting section we're going to get into that everybody wants to talk about the most. Uh, is there a particular person we're looking for to rise up in a particular time? And, 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 and you know, I, I won't get into Antichrist now. But uh, <laughs> isn't that right? We all want to know when the Antichrist is going to pop up. And, and, you know, who is he and where does he come from? And, and is there a particular person in time mentioned? And by the way, there, there is a time period in a particular person mentioned. And, and we can look for that. But the most important thing to know is the one we want to study is not the Antichrist, but the Christ, the Messiah, the one who came. And, and how is this approached? He would die. He would be cut off. Look back at First Peter again, chapter 1, and look what it says again in verse 11. They were seeking to know what person or time the spirit of Christ within them was indicating. This is a really interesting thing. Whether they knew it or not, whether Elijah knew it or not, or Moses knew it or not, but I think they really did. Daniel knew it or not. Where were they being instructed? Was not just the Holy Spirit? It was the spirit of the Messiah, the spirit of the Christ, working in them, giving them this message. This was literally the spirit of God moving in an incredible way, saying, look at this. Look at this. Now, by the way, for Daniel, everything he was told was all future to him. Uh, He wasn't going to see any fulfillment of it. But the spirit of Christ was giving him a message that would reverberate down through the ages. And as the time got closer, it instructs us that there is a God who cares. We should live our lives for him. And we need to get ready. But it's the spirit of Christ giving this message. In Revelation 19.10, listen to these words. Uh, uh, John is so caught up in what's happening, he falls at the feet of an angel to worship. And the angel is just like, no, you don't do this. Revelation 19.10, then I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, do not do that. For I am a fellow servant of yours and your brethren who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. Now don't miss this. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. He said, I want you to know that the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. So when Daniel was given that message in Daniel chapter 9, it was the testimony of Jesus. When Moses was given prophecies of the coming of the Messiah, a particular person at a particular time, that was the spirit of Jesus telling him. When Isaiah, who gets the most prophecies about the coming of the Messiah, uh, uh, it was the spirit of Christ talking with him. And, And when it happened in Jeremiah, and Jeremiah was told that a little town called Bethlehem 
the Messiah would be born. That was the spirit of Christ talking inside of him. The spirit of Jesus, the spirit of Messiah enlightening us. And look back at 1 Peter chapter 1 and look what it says again in verse 11. They were seeking to know what person or time the spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. All about Jesus was told. Uh, in Psalm 22, we get a description of the cross that is just amazing because the cross had not been invented yet. And, and people for hundreds of years after that, that prophecy was given didn't know how to interpret it because they didn't even know what a cross looked like. Uh, but, but, but the suffering of Christ, the death of Christ was told so clearly. Isaiah 53, what a description of the death that Jesus would go through. Isaiah chapter 50, what a description uh, of the, the, the suffering the Messiah would go through. And it says they were told this and they were in awe of it and they searched about it and wanted to know about a particular person that would come in that 32 to 33 period of time that would suffer, that would die, but then the glories that would follow him and how he would be raised up and Jesus fulfilled every single one of these it's interesting to me in Luke chapter 9 Jesus takes Peter James and John to a mountain where he'll be transfigured and Elijah and Moses would appear to him now you you decide for yourself but let me just tell you what I'm about to read to you got got me so excited about two weeks ago I couldn't stand it now, you know, all of us have different things that gets us excited, but I'm not kidding. This got me so excited, I was literally shaking as I wrote and, and going in awe and saying, I, oh, Lord, this is so cool. I, I just didn't know this. And what happens, it says in Luke 9, 28 to 31, it says, some eight days after these sayings, after Jesus said, you're going to see the Messiah revealed in glory and they would see the glory of God shine upon him in the Mount Transfiguration. It says, some eight days after these sayings, he took along Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face became different and his clothing became white and gleaming. And behold, two men were talking with him and they were Moses and Elijah who appearing in glory were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Are you ready for this? We know what they were talking about. Jesus is standing there. He reveals who he is. Elijah and Moses come and stand with him. And they're talking in depth about his departure. And all that he's about to accomplish just in days and days away in the city of Jerusalem where he would be betrayed and he would be scourged. He would suffer. He would die. He would rise again. But he would die for our, our sins. He would die for our hurts and our pains. And all of this is revealed. And, and, and they're coming down and they're wanting to talk to him about it. Now, this is where I got excited. Are you ready? You don't have to get excited. You just decide. You might say, well, Chuck, you just get too much caffeine. But uh, the word departure... You ready for what the word is? You ready? Exodus. Now, okay, good, good. A couple of you got it. Now, I, you know, not everybody gets it. I'm excited. Doesn't that get you that Moses is going, let's talk about the Exodus? Exodus, okay. I, I got excited. No, think about this. Moses and him, and Jesus is going, I'm going to have an Exodus. And Moses is going, oh, I had one of those. And, uh, you know, and, and they began to talk about it. And I think that's incredible. And Elijah, who's never died, gets to hear about what it means to die because later on Elijah's going to come back and he is going to suffer and die. And I'm sure he's going, so that's what death is. Ooh, I bet it hurts. And, and they're talking about that. And, and I think, maybe you think it helps for Elijah to know that when he comes, he's going to stand there knowing his date of death's coming and his suffering he's about to happen and have Jesus and him talk about it. And Jesus said, my day is coming. It's a particular day and particular time and here's what's going to happen to me. And and Elijah, you're going to do it for me one day too. 
Moses, you did it for me. And they're talking about an exodus, and they're talking about suffering, and they're talking about death, and they're talking about redemption and glory. Is Jesus shining out? And Elijah's thinking, this is what I prayed for. This is what I begged to know. And Moses is going, this is the prophet I talked about. This is why I started all this. This is why you called us to bring the people out. And I wondered what it would be like, and I wondered what you'd look like, and I wondered what you'd sound like, and I wondered how it would happen. And now it blows my mind because I, I knew about this amazing prophet and king, and then I, I knew he would suffer and die. And how does it all come together? And Jesus is saying, let me tell you. And he, he's talking about how this is going to work. And I just know they were in awe. Peter, James, and John just didn't get it. And, and, and yet, Moses and Elijah did. And Jesus, I, I, this is my opinion. You ready? I think Jesus, he had told the disciples over and over, I'm going to suffer and die. And they're like, what? It says they didn't understand. Later on, he says, I want to tell you plainly. It actually says in Luke, I want to tell you plainly, the Son of Man will be handed over and suffered and died. And it says, but they didn't get it. This is my opinion. You don't have to buy it. I think he finally said, Father... Can you send me two people I can talk to who get it? <laughs> Sometimes I'm sitting with a young, uh, a young married mom, and she says, can we just use adult words for a while? You know, have you ever been around a mom like that? Oh, I hear an adult voice. Oh, you know, and I think Jesus just, I need someone who gets it. He goes, well, Moses and Elijah, get it and send them in. And then Peter and James and John, they don't, Peter even goes, it goes, and Peter answered. Now, I always love that section because there was never a question asked. You know, Peter's going to answer. Well, what's the question? He goes, I know. Let's build tabernacles to you and Moses and Elijah. And the father actually speaks out and says, listen to Jesus. You missed the whole point. Look who's in front of you. The one glowing is who you ought to listen to. <laughs> By the way, you got three people standing in front of you. One's glowing brightly. Give him your attention at least. Try to figure out what he has to say. The other two, okay? And, and, and that's what's it just amazing in this moment. They're talking about this. They're digging into this. And, and, and then there's one other thing I don't want you to miss tonight before we stop. Back in 1 Peter chapter 1. Isn't it interesting? Peter's the one who's telling us this now. Peter gets it now. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, it says this in verse 12. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. But you in these things which have now been announced to you through the... Those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. You know, uh, uh, if I were to ask you, what, if you had a choice of whatever time you wanted to live in, when would it be? Yeah, right now. Right now is the best time. You know why? Because back then, people didn't understand what all this was going to be. A one-world economy, a disease that would wipe out a quarter of the world's population, a man who would rise up and unite Europe and begin to influence the whole world. And nobody could fathom that. They tried to explain it away. The fact that Israel would be a nation again and Jerusalem would rise up and be an international community, that one piece of ground, so small, that it's, 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 it literally you could walk it in, in minutes, would, would be the focus point of, of almost a worldwide war. And God said all that would happen. And we live in those times. A time when we would have noticed that an outer space object would impact the world with such devastating fury and that we would get notice about it. No one could figure that out before. Now we all under, we just go, well, it just all makes sense. We, we know that those things that were said have to do with our time, 
have to do with now. I mean, you couldn't be living in a more exciting time because the Holy Spirit's inside you, guiding you, empowering you. And, and, and I think that I got caught by, by something Dawson McAllister said. Dawson McAllister, if you never heard him, is a pastor, and he said these words. He said, you know what? Knowing we live in the last days and knowing God knows all things and God never makes a mistake, here's the question. Why were you born to live in such a time as this? It's not by accident. And it's not because you don't matter. It's not because you're not supposed to play a part. Why were we born for such a time as this? And, and the prophets were told, hey, this isn't for you. You see, I have some people go, well, your understanding of the book of Revelation can't be right because it was written and given to these churches and they wouldn't have understood it. Well, guess what? That's what prophecy is. It says that, that uh, Jeremiah didn't understand, that Daniel didn't understand. Moses didn't get it in their day. It says, it was revealed to them, you're not going to understand. This isn't for you. It's for the people in the time of fulfillment to come. Those who were at the time of the first coming Messiah, they, it was for their time. And for those who were at the time of the second coming of the Messiah, it's for their time. And, and how do we know? Well, you look at Jerusalem. Just like Daniel was given the message about. Jerusalem's always the key. But, but the key is, we need to know that they knew it wasn't for them. Now, how do we know that? Not only does Peter say it. Look over at Daniel chapter 12. Daniel 12. And look what it says. We'll start in, go ahead and start in verse 1. I want to mainly get to verse 3. It says, Now at that time, Michael, Michael the archangel, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people will arise and there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book of life will be rescued. Uh, we're not going to get into it tonight, but this is the rapture. If your name's written in the book of life, Michael will arise, the trumpet will be blown, the archangel will shout, Jesus will ascend and we'll go be caught up in the air with him. Cool time to live in. Yeah, verse two, many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, uh, these to everlasting life, but uh, to others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. The ones who awake in a rapture to everlasting life, there'll be a period of time for judgment. Verse three, those who have insight, those who have been studying, those who make careful search and inquiry, those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Uh, uh, the people who are studying and get it, man, they're going to they're gonna shine out in those kind of times, in those days. They're going to understand. They're going to be more diligent, more prayerful, more aware, more, more in tune to what's going on. And what are they going to do? They're going to be more than ever wanting to lead people to Christ, to lead many to righteousness, which, by the way, we all agree here, right? That is a passionate commitment of this family, this church, that we have a passionate commitment to reach out and lead people to the Lord. And uh, it says that what will happen is God will reward that. Verse 4. But as for you, Daniel, conceal these words and seal up the book until the end of time. You see what he's saying to Daniel? Daniel, this isn't for you. I've given you the most amazing things that anybody could ever hope to understand. You're not going to understand it, no matter who you are. You can make careful search and inquiry, but it's not for you. Seal this up until the end of time. Many will go back and forth, and knowledge will increase, which is a sign of the time that, that, that will understand it. And then it says, uh, uh, look on in verse 9. It says, he said, go your way, Daniel, for these words are concealed and sealed up until the end of time. Again, did you catch that? Twice he says to Daniel, Daniel, this isn't for you. You're going to go your way. You're going to die. You're going to have 
caught up into heaven in peace. And, and, and this isn't for you, but it is sealed up for those in those last days who open it up and, and begin to understand the time they live in. And then in verse 10, many will be purged, purified, refined, but the wicked will act wickedly and none of the wicked will understand, but those who have insight will understand. Those who want to just go on and, and behave in a way that God wouldn't honor, they're never going to get it. They're not going to realize it's coming upon them. It's, and, and, but those who know, those who know can look around and say, wow, oh, this, is, uh, this is happening. I can see it. I can see the glimmers of it. I can see the, the motions of it. I can see the, the positioning of it. I, I can see it happening. You know, and, and, and not to get too far off, in other words, if, if you live in a time when a nation or a configuration of nations can launch a 200 million man army, at the time that Daniel was alive, there wasn't even 200 million people in the whole world. And we live in a time where India and China individually could launch a 200 million man army if they were to come together. And they're in the right place in the world where it was said to happen. If you live in a time where this obscure region of the world... Where, where nobody lived and no one thought about and no one talked about that's east of the Ural Sea and north of the Black Sea. It's this area that you and I called Russia. If you live in a time where that obscure area rises up to be a world power that could start a world war, at a time it was written, no one got it because it was such a vague, who would want to live there? I know some of you are still saying that, who would want to live there? But uh, do you, we live in those times? By the way, those times have never, ever existed before. And it says, if you have insight and understanding, you're going to shine out brightly. You're going to be ready. Not, not afraid, ready. And you're going to lead many to righteousness. And you're going to shine as the bright stars of heaven. And you're going to understand that you have a significance beyond what you could ever hope for in, in fulfilling what God wants us to do. And it says, but those who act wickedly will act wickedly and act like it's no big deal. But judgment will come. Verse 13, but as for you, as for you, Daniel, go your way to the end. Then you will enter into rest and rise again for your allotted portion at the end of the age. Daniel, you'll be one of those who are asleep in the dust of the ground. And when Michael appears, the archangel and shouts and Jesus descends and the trumpet's blown. And you're, you'll be caught up to be with him and, and, and in that moment. But it's not for you now. So what are we saying? Are you ready? We're saying that if we're studying correctly, we need to make careful search and inquiry. We need to dig in. Uh, I don't know about you. It's the most exciting thing possibly to study, but I want to do it with you some. And in the coming months and years that the Lord has not returned, we'll do it even more. We're saying that, that it's okay to look for a person and a time for a fulfillment or at least uh, uh, to really dig in and to understand the times you live in because the prophets did that. We're saying that, you know, what we need to do is we need to go to the Spirit of Christ to find understanding. Because the Spirit of the Christ is the one that inspired it, so we need to go to Jesus to get it. And, and it's not something we just do with our heads. We do it spiritually by seeking the Lord and seeking to know about him. And we need to understand this, that all prophecy in the end comes back to Jesus. It, it, the city that we look at is always Jerusalem. It's the key place. But Jesus is always the focus. The first coming of the Messiah centered on Jesus, the one who would come and live the life that was amazing, one that literally made ripple effects through all time and history, and, and he died upon a cross for us. But now today, through his spirit moving and through us seeking him, we're looking for him to come again, and we've never, ever lived in a time like this. And again, 
Why are we here? Why do we exist? Well, I want to tell you this. It's because God loves us and wants to call us to do something amazing. But I want to go back to something else we talked about. God looked at the children of Israel and said, if you would just obey me, if you would just listen to me, I would want to give you a life beyond understanding, a life that's incredible. Not always easy, but incredible. And they said no. Here he says at this, he says, in those last days there will be those who get it and say yes, but then there are going to be those who say no. I want to ask tonight, which one are you? Because I, I think that the vast majority of you, we're not saying we're perfect, but we've said we've said yes. God, I want to live for you. I want to I want to be yours. I, I want to fulfill my, my calling and my destiny and all the things you have. That's what I want, Lord. And God says, then I want to bless you and I want to love you. And tonight, if, if you haven't said that to him, let me tell you, he loves you and he cares about you and he wants you. And this is not a time to waste your minutes and hours that you've been given because you matter too much. And so tonight, we're going to go into a time of invitation. If you can't honestly say that you know Jesus, this one we've been talking about, that you really know him and you know his love and his spirit reveals things inside of you. If you can't say that, then what I want to invite you to do is to pray a prayer with me right where you're sitting, where you whisper the words, like just right where you're sitting, where you whisper words, where you say, I do want to be who you made me to be and I want to live the life you made me to live and, and I want to experience what you want me to experience and I want forgiveness and cleansing and I want your spirit inside me and, and I'm going to ask you to whisper those those words with me if you want that tonight. Tonight, if you're someone who's been afar from Christ, you're not living in a connected way with him, but you used to. At one time, you were so on fire and so excited, and the Bible was exciting to you, and prayer was exciting to you, and you knew you had a reason to live, and life was exciting, and it's not right now. I'm going to ask you to recommit yourself to the Lord, and he wants you. He loves you. But tonight, if you need to make that step of faith to come close to him, let me tell you, he'll step even closer to you. Let's pray. Father, I love this study. I, I get so excited about the things that are written within your word. And I pray tonight that, that Lord, I have, I have shared this in such a way that, that is understandable, but passionate, exciting, gripping, and may we understand how we're to approach prophecy. But more than that, how we're to approach you. And I pray tonight, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will come in this room. I ask for you to give us insight as we read your word. I ask for you to give us insight as we live our lives and reveal to us things we need to know. As you guide us, as you direct us, as we seek to step out on faith, God, may we see you moving in an amazing way. And I pray, Lord, I pray right now, I ask, I, I entreat you to please send your Holy Spirit in this room. God, send your Holy Spirit upon us. And I pray right now, if there's someone who needs to commit their life to you, or recommit their life to you, that you would stir and touch them. And tonight, they would want to pray this prayer. They'd want to say these words. They would want to be yours completely. They wouldn't want to live the life that they were meant to live and be who they were meant to be. And I pray, God, that no matter what's happened in their life, they would know you can heal any hurt and forgive any sin and cleanse them completely. And that you want them to have life, love, and joy, and a reason and a purpose for living. 
I'm going to ask that we keep praying. And if you're right with God, would you pray for anybody who needs to commit their life to him? But tonight, if you want to commit your life to Christ or recommit, I'm going to ask you right where you're sitting to whisper that prayer with me. I'll say a line and wait for you to think about it and repeat it to God. But tonight, if you're ready to do this, if you sense him calling you or you want this and, and you're going to pray this prayer with me, would you let me know you're going to do it? by lifting your hand in the air and looking at me, and then you can put it down. If any of you tonight are ready to commit your life to the Lord or recommit, this is your time. You're going to pray this prayer. Just lift your hand where I can see it. Praise God, man. That is so awesome. Praise the Lord for you. Wow. Second more, I just want to know who God's touching and calling. Right over here for you. Praise the Lord. That is so awesome. Wow. Praise God. For each one of you, this is so incredible. God knows you and loves you. Second more, I'm going to look along the room. And he, oh, right over here, praise God for you. Wow, praise the Lord. And, and for you over here, praise God. And right here, praise the Lord. And right over here too, praise God. Wow, for each one of you, that's incredible. Praise the Lord for you. All of you that God's touching, let's just whisper this prayer together. Say these words. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross to forgive me of my sins, to heal me of my hurts and pains, to make me alive, to make me new, and to make me yours. And I say, yes, I want this. So I open my heart to you. Please fill me with your love and fill me with your spirit and help me be who you've always created me to be and to live the life that you have for me to live. And this I pray in Jesus' name, amen.